Welcome to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm extremely excited to have a good friend of mine, the spawn of Satan himself, Scott Madrinsky, on the episode today. Scott, how you doing, buddy? Uh, doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for being on, Scott. Um, obviously, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. It's, uh, it's kind of fun to, to finally do this. Um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners real quick? Uh, well, I am a uh, currently a graphic designer. I work in advertising. Uh, got a history um, in sports as well. Used to work for the New Jersey Devils, and that's where you and I first connected years ago. I when we first really connected, even though we we kind of crossed paths, you know, like shits in the night before that. I think. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I, I hate even describing myself that way. Like, eh, yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a graphic designer. Like, I don't really even know. Like, I feel like who I am anymore. Um, because uh, that just doesn't really define really you any sort of at all, and I don't know how to define myself. It's such a weird question. Like, I was going, I, I was, I, I was planning on going. Scott Madrinsky, father, son, brother, husband, spawn of Satan. But I think I missed. It. I think all those things are true, <laughs> and maybe it's time to re-record. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're gonna keep uh, it going to keep. No, I, I honestly, I feel like uh, if I were to describe, like truly describe myself, let me start over. Skip all that other crap. <laughs> I, I think I'm just like chaos incarnate, and I don't mean that like in a grandiose way, as as much as it sounds that way, <laughs> or even like uh, like I'm bragging, but like I, I didn't just, just chaos just follows my wake. Like, is in my wake everywhere I go. How much of that do you think is uh, karma from the equal amounts of uh, in, a pain and, and trauma that you inflicted on your family as a youngster? Um, 50% honestly, at least? I think about that a lot. <laughs> I, I think about stuff like that all the time. And there has to be a correlation. And when I'm feeling... Uh, self-pity, I just say, you did this. <laughs> you did you it to yourself. This. <laughs> this is your bed. Sleep. That's, um, that's fair. Um, I did want to talk about, I mean, you know, shits in the night aside. Um, obviously, we knew each other before working together, but we really became friends when we were both, you know, uh, employed with the devils. Um, I was talking about it with your brother when I had him on the podcast about how much fun we had even before we worked together, uh, going to games, you know, at, at Continental and uh, and whatnot. And I have one extremely vivid memory of our time working together. And I'm curious if you remember a certain sandwich that you ate <laughs> at a certain restaurant. <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> I do remember that, and that's only because it was my last day. It was your um, last day. Yeah, we were at Hobbies, which is a great place. I wish I could go there right now. I, uh, I, I wish I could go to a lot of places right now. I set a reminder for myself over the weekend to get lunch at Hobbies because it's really the only chance I have to go, like on the weekend. And I didn't right. do it, but it's it's glaring at me on my phone. Like I haven't marked it as completed, and I didn't delete it yet because it's something that I really uh, go I for really both of need. us. Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll sneak out and go. We Who's should go. Tell me we no? should meet up. Well, I know exactly who's going to tell me no, but maybe I'll <laughs> go anyway. Well, it is a, a lengthy drive. What's that? I said it is a bit of a lengthy drive. Yeah, it's a hike. It's a hike now for me. I mean, everything is tough. I mean, that to me, I think is part of my. I think you caught me at a really weird time. I think I'm in the midst of a midlife crisis, to be perfectly honest. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's tough living out in Long Island where there's really only one way in, one way out, and everyone I know is somewhere else. Yeah. Well, the LIE is not a uh, a fun place to be. That's for sure. Um, it's unforgiving. You, you mentioned that you're having a midlife crisis, and I thought it'd be interesting if we took a very brief dive into your next career, because while most men who are about to turn 40 are thinking about retirement, you know, it's on the horizon, a, a mere 25 years away, um, or their kids going to high school. Obviously, you've got two little ones that, what are they, five and two, five and three? Uh, they're, they're a little, yeah, they give around, around there. Yeah. I don't want to get into my kids too much, but yeah. yeah, they're in that realm. Fair enough. They're young. So while most people are just like easing into the, the late stages of their working career, you did something crazy and decided to join the Navy. 
Yeah, and I mean, first of all, I don't know anybody at 40 who's thinking about retiring. Well, it's like, you know, so you, you put in your 20. That just shows what I've done wrong. <laughs> and you say, you know, you're 25 years away. You're 25. That's a freaking lifetime, dude. I know. <laughs> but, like, the last years felt like 25 years, and I felt like the previous 10 felt like one. So it's all relative. It's weird. But, <laughs> no, I mean, I did. I joined the Navy. Um, I'm currently employed, like I said, as a graphic designer, uh, you know, and uh, a senior designer um, with, you know, a, a well-reputed ad agency. Mm-hmm. I just have, right now you go to Bix.com and look at some of their banner ads. I made those. That's very um, cool. For better, for better or worse. Um, I mean, I think you, you know, but, the, the listeners don't know, but my affinity for your artwork goes without saying. I think I own easily 12 plus pieces of your artwork. I um, have had multiple people purchase stuff from you. I mean, I just think your talent is off the charts and the fact that you're not like... Well, man, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, and that's I, the funny thing. So, like, the work is so stale in terms of artistically speaking that I do. I paint on the side. I'll make, like, collages, which makes me sound like a five-year-old boy, but... <laughs> No, the collages uh, are the my favorite more, thing that you do. They're more, yeah, they're way more detailed than it sounds like. I feel like, uh, but uh, and more intricate. But I do all that on the side just to kind of scratch that creative itch because mm-hmm. I don't really get that at work. There's, you know, when you're working in corporate, there are perks, and the perks are the medical insurance, dental benefits, four hundred one k, matching contributions, blah blah blah. That kind of stuff. It's like the long-term security. That's mm-hmm. the benefit of working corporate. Sure. And there's a lot to be said for that, especially at my age now with the family. Like, there, there's value in there. There's a lot of value there. Absolutely. But the flip side is you're answering to masters. So, you know, this is actually funny. Uh, uh, we were working for one client and uh, another big corporate place that everyone has heard of, right? Mm-hmm. It's ubiquitous. It's stuff you use every day. This place makes products that you would use. They want to do toilet a promotion. Paper. What's that? Toilet paper. That's my guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> they wanted to do a promotion for 420, but they didn't want to overtly say 420 and come out as if they were supporting marijuana, smoking weed, or whatever. Sure. But they, they were just trying to be coy about it. They, so they wanted it both ways. So I remember the... And this just involves, like, getting images. You're just mm-hmm. finding stock photography, and then you're just overlaying, you know, with a little bit of uh, retouching, which is not my cup of tea. We have other people for that. Mm-hmm. So I would find the image, inlay the copy, and then if we needed retouching, the retouchers would do what they need to do with the image. So my top image, I had a few. You know, you would come up with a few options, was... I had these two ceramic lawn gnomes, and they're passed out. They're sleeping on mushrooms in the grass. And I'm like, I'm sorry. This is the 420th thing you could do without saying, go get high. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's cute. And it got killed because oh. it was too, that was too risque. And I'm like, dude, really? This? Like, this is as innocuous as you're going to get. Um, unless you just took an outside shot of a van and we're not working for Dutch. So <laughs> I don't know what the point is. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I, uh, I found that a, a lot of the common themes that I reiterate a lot on these conversations that I have with people are how much at my younger age, I wish, uh, I had an opportunity or even was forced to try more creative avenues because obviously I'm 35 now but I feel like I'm just hitting my stride in, in finding the confidence and the, the passion that I have for things like photography and this podcast. And it's something that I wish I had done, you know, way earlier. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that too, because I feel the exact same way and being a few years older than you, um, you know, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm like tooting my own horn, but like I, I was pretty smart growing up. Mm-hmm. Shit always came easy. I was decent at sports um, you know, I, I was really good in school without really picking up a book. I remember I had a semester in college. I bought no books and got straight A's that whole semester. <laughs> so it was actually my best year. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, and, you know, so I just coasted through life. And it got to a point where I just woke up one day, probably in my late 20s, and I realized people who I would consider maybe not, as, and you know, I was always artistic, 
people I would say that are not as talented as me were ahead of me, you know, in their careers, uh, financially. Um, and I'm, and I'm really not somebody who really is motivated so much by money, yeah. but it still stings a little when you see people that, you know, you hey, know I, you're I could do what right. they're doing and yeah. I could, I could do that better. Mm-hmm. Why is that guy getting that? Why is she getting that? Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was lazy, you know, because things came easy to me that I just coasted. And so I found that the last, honestly, now it's probably close to 10 years now. Uh, I, I really kind of doubled down and like kind of tried to play catch up. Mm-hmm. And like you say, doing the things that I should have been doing 10, 15, 20 years ago, like I'm doing them now. And it started actually with, I don't know if you remember, do you remember Fugos? I, of course I remember Fugos. I, that was the next thing I was going to bring up because the way that your brain works is, <laughs> I mean, granted, yes, you're an intelligent person, but it is so or unlike, <laughs> or doesn't, it is so unlike any other person that I know in my life. And it starts with weird shit like Fugos, which is just such a harebrained idea. And for <laughs> people who are listening have no idea what we're talking about, Scott literally spent hours and hours on a Saturday or a Sunday making sports logos out of food. So... Off the top of my head, a peanut butter and jelly North Stars or Calgary Flames logo. That was the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa yeah. Senators. Okay. I, I, and and for everybody listening, it was 16 slices of white bread <laughs> arranged in a 4x4 four four square. <laughs> and then basically painting on them as if they were the canvas, this logo in peanut butter Grape jelly and probably strawberry jelly or cherry, some some red jelly, but probably strawberry. I'm gonna link the, that image in the show notes just uh, to your, to your portfolio so everyone can see it because it is so detailed and so good and so bizarre. <laughs> you know that one specifically was retweeted by the NHL themselves. I know, I know, I remember. I remember you texting me when it happened. You're like, dude, the NHL just retweeted. <laughs> senator's logo out of peanut butter and jelly <laughs> but dude, yeah that was a great project i mean i did i started with hockey and i wanted to get all the teams but some of them were harder than others like i specifically remember i never did a rangers one yeah obviously. um i tried you did do a flyers i tried one. i tried i did a flyers was one of the first ones i did yeah. and that flyers one actually i think was in sports illustrated it was um because that's the thing, these things got picked up and it had its 15 minutes of internet fame, which translates into three minutes of somebody saying your name in real life. And that's yeah. it. It, it, it is. And, and, and I think you and I relate to that. Obviously I had my 15 minutes of internet fame when I was writing for like elite daily back in the day. And I do have a bit of regret and or remorse that like I had a moment and and maybe you could you know uh, agree with this. I had a moment that I felt like something special was on the cusp of happening, and you know maybe yeah. I didn't push hard enough. Maybe I didn't try to uh, reach out to enough people or, or really strike while the iron's hot. But you know, seven eight years later, there's nothing that came of that. Like it was a cool five minutes. I got my million likes. I got a bunch of you know different cool opportunities, but like nothing. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it, and this is this is the fun thing about art, especially you know, visual media in general, is you never know when it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And even if it hits, as you know, like we say, Fugo got its fifteen minutes, it hit, and then it went away. Every now and then, it comes back. And guess what? That's still in my portfolio ten years later. There's a lot of stuff in 10 years that have come and gone from the portfolio, but that has remained. Mm-hmm. Um, the press, I mean, there was legitimate mainstream press. It was, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a slow news year. Um, <laughs> honestly, in 20, 2017, not getting anywhere. Fugos isn't going anywhere. No, yeah. no one cares. Yeah. Um, Too funny. But in 2010, you know, Hey, it's a simpler time. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that stuff, it never really goes away. So Mm -hmm. that's cool. I actually had an offer last year. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud to anybody. This was uh, in March or April. So almost like a year to the day Mm -hmm. uh, from ESPN. No kidding. To create Fugos of all the NFL teams 
uh, ahead of the schedule release, which I want to say was either early or mid-May. So there was like a there was like a, a three maybe four week turnaround. It was tight, mm-hmm. and I've never done more than three of these in a single weekend. So to have to do thirty two, it, it came out to like doing like one and a half a day Oof. every day, and that was tough. Number two, it was mutually killed uh, on both sides because that again early pandemic. We were having food shortages. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I brought up I brought up the issue of A food shortages, the very real at the time fear of what happens if I get coronavirus and looking for freaking hash browns. <laughs> um you know, for 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 for, for, for an LA Rams logo or whatever. Yeah. Uh and uh and on the flip side is what is and, and I, I was upfront every time I've made Fugos all of the food gets eaten. I don't throw anything in the garbage. So 16 slices of white bread covered in peanut butter and jelly, I ate it all. Maybe <laughs> not in one sitting, but I ate the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, overseasoned meat, like, you know, there's a devil's logo with spaghetti and, uh, and, and tomato sauce, and there's oregano all over the plate. Just so much oregano. <laughs> absolutely ruined the meal. But I ate the whole thing. Good for you. Um, I, I, I like the dedication. So it doesn't get wasted. But the thing is, people don't really know that. And what were the optics going to be here? We're in a food shortage, we're in a pandemic, and you assholes are are making shit out of food. You're <laughs> making logos out of food, and you're, what, you're throwing it away? Yeah. You know, it was going to look bad. So, I, I think that know, was the right like, move. You know, this isn't the right time. This isn't the right time. No. Um, for, for both of those reasons. The timing, literally timing, and then the timing with the pandemic. I think, uh, I think that was but, the right But move. you never know when these things hit again. You know? Like, so... And so again, that was, you know, 2020, this is now going on, you know, eight years really since I had made my last Fugos. Mm-hmm. And these people just reached out out of the blue and I, it was unreal. It was cool. That is so cool. you just never know. Again, with visual media, it never goes away. And you, the iron might have cooled, but it's never ice cold because it could always heat back up. I like that. Out of curiosity, um... I've always gotten the impression, and, and I could be completely wrong, that you are extraordinarily comfortable in your own skin. You don't give a flying fuck what anyone thinks about you. Um, and I don't know if you're good at hiding insecurities or you just are that way. Where do you think, where do you get that confidence? Where do you, like, where do you come up with the I don't give a fuck attitude? But, like, you've maintained that for the 20 plus years that I've known you. Um. <laughs> I don't know if I don't really care or I don't, it's not that I, I don't give a fuck. It's that, and, and I've recently, I think maybe it's kind of settling in and settling down and getting older and maybe a little more mature. I've kind of backed off a little bit on that because a lot of it is, uh, let's say we're all in a room, right? There's like 10 people in a room. Everybody hates the 10th person mm-hmm. and they don't want them there. They're annoying. They smell bad. They have bad breath whatever it may be, nobody wants to say anything. I was the one that would be like, I would say it to them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it wasn't always something so extreme and negative, but, but like, I just wasn't afraid. And not that I wasn't afraid because, you know, there is like this sense of fear, but like I, I was willing to be the one to do it in my, in my mind. I'm like, someone has to do the dirty work. It will be me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it came at, you know, when I was, when I first started working, I remember uh, my company years ago at a different ad agency, they had an employee of the month thing. And it's a huge agency too. Mm-hmm. And I remember I started a petition for my supervisor, who was a great dude. And I said, this guy should win it. And I had so many people were sending in emails to the official whatever channel of, hey, who should be the, uh, M- you know, the MVP of the month? And they gave it to someone else and I and it was uh, it was a lady who worked in like the archive room <laughs> and it was kind of like who like no one really knew who this person was and and I remember I saw the president of the company out at a bar one night and I called him out on it I was like how could you do this and like I wasn't even drunk or, or anything stupid like that <laughs> I was just like brazen I'm like how could you do this like why would you do this like blah 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 and like he was he was very gracious with his time and he gave me his explanation, which I didn't agree with at the time. Um, 
And I was like, well, whatever. But it was a thing. I was like, oh, I'm, I, I just had this probably wrongly placed self-righteousness in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, sometimes wrong, sometimes maybe not, but I, I've always never been afraid to fall on my sword, right? Or your face. And I think the last year, yeah, well, and then the last few years, I've just been like, you know what, is this even worth it? Like, you know, it, it's hurt my career in some ways because I'll be the one that speaks up and nobody likes, you know, they say the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but nobody, nobody likes that person either, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least from a management perspective, like you're not going to go up if you're the nag, the complainer, you sure. know, whatever the word is. Yeah. Um, so it's hurt, it's hurt me professionally. I know it's definitely hurt me personally because, you know, you know, my relationships and stuff, um, over time and, and, you know, in a way, like I've kind of mellowed out. So again, I don't know if it's really just, you know, that I don't care. It's just that I've never really been afraid of consequences when I thought I was in the right. I like that. It's it's an important lesson because I, I feel like for most of my working career, personal life, et cetera, like I, I've been a very, you know, without care, you know, without worry type life. Like I'll say mm-hmm. similar things, not give a fuck. And I, I was never quite sure how much of that was for fear of consequence or just, you know, stalwart belief in myself that if this doesn't work out, something else will, right? Like I, I say that all the time to people that I talk with. I was like, listen, I don't think this podcast is going to get picked up and I'm going to be getting a hundred thousand listeners every episode, but I'm confident in what I'm doing. I'm enjoying the conversations that I'm having. And if someone can benefit by listening to five minutes of this, all the more better at the end of the day, it's for me. It's not for anyone else. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily live their life that way. They're way too afraid of the consequences. They worry extremely, extremely hard on the wreckage of the future when there's things out of their control that they can't necessarily uh, you know, forecast or, or worry about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the other thing. I and mean, we, we haven't even touched on the Navy yet, but, um, that's kind of where that comes from too, for me, you know, it, like I said, so I guess not being afraid to fall on my sword and not being afraid of being the bad guy was a lot of my motivations and, you know, what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that thing of, of like, you know what, like you got to seize it. You just got to take the day by the balls, I guess, you know? Yeah. And, you know, with the Navy specifically, this was a thing that, and I'm only going into the reserves. Sure. So it's yeah. not like I'm just active military, know, right? Running right. off into, you know, <laughs> the Middle East or anything like that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it, it, it's a thing that's been kind of on my mind for a few years. And I mean, it was I, never the right time. I hate to interrupt you. I, I remember vividly having a conversation with you at like Francesca's or something at lunch when we were working at the devils or, or McCorders or something. And you were like, I just want to fucking quit and join the Navy. And I'm like, dude, what? Like we're at war with Iraq. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You want to quit your job and join the Navy. So I wasn't uh, super see- shocked when you told me. <laughs> and plus like, you've also always been a super fit guy. Like, how many marathons and how many states did you run? I mean, it was something like crazy, like 10 marathons in 10 states or something. Uh, I was up, to, I was nine. It was nine marathons in as many states. Yeah. I was on my 10th before uh, my daughter was born and uh, I, I was injured. And so I, I think she was really sick that weekend. And so I skipped it and it was close too. It was in Hartford, Connecticut and I ended up bailing on it and I've never run one since. <laughs> uh, well, that's nine more than I've ever run. So. But my goal was to do one in every state, and my IT band has never really healed up from when I got injured in the last one right before she was born. Mm-hmm. And that was in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, the, it was the Minneapolis-St. Paul Marathon. And I remember I had to walk the last three miles. Oh, wow. so much pain. Can you, it hurt uh, to straighten my leg. It hurt to bend my leg. It hurt to run. It hurt to walk. Everything hurt. Can you? And I crossed the finish line at three hours and 18 minutes. Which so, pretty brisk. Which made me furious. <laughs> I was furious. I had never beaten my fastest time. I think was like three oh six or three oh seven. Wow. Um, I had never had a sub three hour marathon, and that was it. I walked the last three miles and was at three eighteen. That's incredible. I was. I, it's actually still. It's a thing that haunts me, and it's not my fault. And, and this is part of the reason why I am the way I am, because. 
things like this haunt me that I know for a fact intellectually there is nothing I could do about it. It's out of my control, but it still burns me. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think everybody has that. Um, can you quickly tell the story of proposing to your now wife? Because it involves one of those nine marathons. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. So that was, that was actually the one right before. That was my eighth. So Minneapolis was my ninth. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia was my eighth. Um, and uh, I ran the entire marathon with a wedding ring in my hand, in the box. <laughs> I crossed the finish line. I dog-tired. Um, that was Sweaty, a rough one. smelly. It was, holding, it, was holding, it was holding the box the whole time for some reason. It just changes your gait a little bit. Yeah. You know, and you're switching it between hands. Like, I'd never really run with anything in my hands. I don't even run with, like, those little Gatorade goo packets. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing. Um... And I remember a photographer was there. I said, hey, you want to get the best photo you're going to get today? And he goes, yeah. I go, I, and I just showed him the ring. I go, we got to find my wife. <laughs> and or we got to find my girlfriend. And uh, he's like, all right, what, where, is she, where does she look like? I was like, just like a big, burly dude, hairy. And he's like, what? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, no, 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 no. She's she just this very dainty, tiny little brunette. And, and, you know, we eventually found her pretty quick. And he had a good laugh about that. And... Uh, <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with... No, you know, of course not. Uh, That's, of course not. Marrying a big hairy dude, if you're another dude, like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but it was just funny. You know, it was funny. That is funny. Um, so we have a picture of me getting down one day, like, looking like total garbage. Like, I've got, like, a vein going from, like, middle of my forehead all the way across my face. <laughs> and did, did you have Jesus Christ hair at that time? Yes, I had long Jesus hair at that time. My daughter loved the story, too, of me being in New York City, walking out of Grand Central Station. Cause I would cut. I used to live in the city. It's a thing that I miss immensely. Really? Living in the city. I'm so I surprised so to hear much. you say that. I'm not a suburbs guy, dude. Um, I don't like the suburbs. I am much more of a city person. Interesting. <sighs> um And uh, so when it was really hot, though, in the summertime, like I figured out this way to cut through so many buildings to just minimize my time outdoors of having mystery water falling on my head. Um, and I'm walking out of Grand Central Station and there is a woman who I'm assuming she was homeless. She's just kind of very shabby looking. And I see her in the distance, like maybe 20 feet away from me in front of me. And we're just locked eyes <laughs> just staring at each other. And, you know, my hair is long and I've kind of got like a scraggly goatee kind of thing, just unshaven. And uh, she looks at me, and as I get closer, her eyes get like real wide. <laughs> and like, like, and she goes, she goes, get away from me, you damn werewolf! <laughs> Screams it at the top of her lungs. I mean, it doesn't. It takes a lot, I think, for Manhattan to stop and turn around. Um, this was not one of those. No one stopped and turned around. It was just me and her. Oh my god. <laughs> and, uh, I thought you she was going to scream, Jesus. Screaming <laughs> at, the top, at the top of her lungs. Get away from me, you damn werewolf. But my daughter loves hearing that story. So every time I go near her and she doesn't want to be away, she doesn't want to be by me in this cute little girl voice. Says, Get away from me, you damn werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> she is so adorable. Um, I, I, think, I think you more so than any other friend of mine has like the craziest stories like that again that exact story i feel like so many times you tell me shit that i'm just like dude i that's just not true like that's not a real story you're a creative guy you completely made that up what's like the one thing that you think is the craziest thing that's ever happened to you um man that is tough because honestly there are times where people Tell me, like, friends I haven't seen in a long time or whatever, or honestly, even acquaintances, people I, I think I'm meeting for the first time, they're like, hey, I remember that time that you <laughs> and blah, 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 and this happened. I'm like, dude, you're telling me that happened and that I did that? Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll take your word for it. If you say it happened, I'm going to have to believe you because I don't remember that. Um, man, what is the craziest thing? I don't know. Um, in some ways, starting a family. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna get to. I was gonna get to that later. I, I was gonna. I was gonna get to the fatherhood thing later. Um, one story that stuck out in my mind is like, like you said, you're a smart guy, and 
you definitely work smarter than harder, but for sure, in my opinion, you maneuvered one of the greatest finesses in the history of finesses by somehow convincing our employer that you needed to go to the Olympics. And to me, that is without question the craziest thing on the planet because there is absolutely (laughs) no logical reason why marketing manager, marketing whatever, graphic designer of the New Jersey Devils needed to go to the Olympics. It was marketing coordinator. Coordinator. But the thing (laughs) is, it wasn't on their dime. Oh, it wasn't? No, I was at, that's actually probably the craziest thing. I can't believe I just spaced on that. (laughs) Cameron Hughes, who is a good friend of mine now and is a professional super fan. You may have seen him tossing t-shirts at an arena near you. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he was at the devils, you know, he would come to the games and stuff and he had a handler who either was sick one day or just didn't want to do it. I think they didn't really vibe with each other. Mm-hmm. With, you know, our guy and him. And it was like game day. Hey, Scott, will you go around with this guy, Cameron, tonight? Yeah, sure, no problem. I don't care. And, you know, we met and, and we were chatting. And, you know, I don't remember what it was, but right away we got into hockey stats. And I think that this guy, being a Canadian and a diehard hockey fan, saw that I wasn't just some kid working at a hockey team in New Jersey. I was a hockey fan who happened to work at the hockey team in New Jersey. Right. And we just bonded, you know, and we became friends. And then the next time he was there, I went with him again because I guess he requested me or went well or whatever. And I certainly didn't mind. I didn't have any other game day responsibilities really. And it was like a great, you know, it was a great time. And, you know, I'd see him, we'd hang out. And then as the year went on, you know, he knew I was a designer by day. He had asked me, he said, look, I'm going to do a pitch for the Winter Olympics. Can you design, like, the presentation for me? Just like a PDF or a PowerPoint or whatever. I go, yeah, sure. So I put this together, and I really thought nothing of it. And a few weeks go by, and this is, like, in the fall, I guess it was. Then he calls me and says, hey, I got the gig. I go, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Like, really cool. So now I can pay me some money for this. <laughs> and... Um, his reply was something along the lines. He's like, well, yeah. And he's like, I was thinking, um, I actually would like to pay you by having you come out and be my handler and my assistant at the Olympics. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he's like, listen, though, like there's a catch. He's like, you know, I'll pay your, your flight, your room, your board, your food, all that's taken care of, but I just won't be able to pay you any money. And, I said, oh, yeah, let me think about that. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Like, All right, that's so, a bad deal? Come on. So I take it back. It wasn't a finesse. It was just pure dumb luck. Well, the finesse was actually the devils were only going to let me go initially because I had a couple of vacation days. Mm-hmm. And like, well, you take your vacation days, but you got to come back after that. And it ended up being like, well, I'm going to go to Vancouver on Saturday and come back on Tuesday. Yeah, right. Um, and, and, the, and I don't think the men's games even started. It was the women's games started right away, but the men's games started later that week. Right. And um, I was like, that's crazy. I'm like, there's nothing even going on here uh, because all our players are in the Olympics. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I remember it, it was, you know, it was a source of contention. I was really annoyed. And like, I was going to quit over that. I really I, was. I, I, I remember. Was like, I'm going. Like, I, I go, I don't care. I'm going. Like, this is ridiculous that they're going to take this opportunity away from me. Because, I don't know, if it was, like, people were upset or jealous or whatever, um, that, you know, I was the one going, Mm -hmm. or, because there really was nothing going on. And I actually remember someone said to me, like, well, we got to gear up for the playoffs, and and we got to get ready for the playoffs. And (laughs) and I said that that was, I called it out. I was like, it's bullshit, because it's February, and I agree, gearing up for the playoffs and getting prepped for that would be not the worst idea in the world. But we haven't done that in the three years I've been here, so don't even pretend that we're doing that this week. Yeah, right. In February. You yeah. know, like, that that was just such a bogus thing for me. And, that, and that's the thing, where it's like, I am I am not afraid to stand up for myself with all my sword. And like I say, I'm not afraid to be the bad guy. And that's one of those times that I don't even look back and say, eh, maybe I should have held back a little. I, I'm, I'm glad I stood my ground there, you know? Oh, I completely agree. Um, 
And then ultimately, you know, uh, it got higher up and higher up. And they said, look, we're going to let you go. But we want, you're going to work for us while you're there, too. So send us pictures and this stuff. And I said, okay, that's fine. And, and that's how that worked out. So the team got some, I guess, a little bit of exclusive content. And, uh, you know, it was, like, honestly, the best time ever. I bid a gold medal. I know. Um, <laughs> I, we, uh, a fr- uh, you know, another a friend that I've made, like, who has become a lifelong friend now that I made while we were up in Vancouver. The he was French another guy, right? One of, like, the t-shirt tossers. Uh, he's Canadian. He's, Can- he's like, oh, okay. English I thought he was from Montreal for some reason. Yeah. No. Um, Rob, sub Robbie. Uh, he, uh, Oh, he was at your wedding. He and I after. Yeah. Yeah. He was at my table. That's why I remembered him. Yes. Yeah. He and I at the, after the gold medal game for the women's hockey, which I think was like a Thursday night, maybe a Friday. And the men's was on Saturday. Uh, after the gold medal game, we were out and about, and we're just bar hopping all over. And then we found the bar that the women, the Canadian women hockey team, were hanging out in. And uh, he was like, let's try and get in, let's try and get in. And I remember with, uh, I can't remember her name. I want to say it's Haley Wickenheiser. Is that mm-hmm. her name? It sounds she familiar. Like, she was like the... Uh, MVP. Like the best player of, yeah, yeah at that time for, for women's hockey. She was outside with a couple of the other women and they were just kind of going back in and Rob catches the door where it's like three finger lengths away from closing. And he, and he looks at me with like this, oh, <laughs> we're in. And we just walked right in and we just hung out and it was awesome. Like I'm, we're wearing the gold medals, we're kissing the gold medals, we're biting the gold medals. I mean, <laughs> that was a great time. It was a great time. I mean, yeah, I mean, I had FOMO. We were coworkers, and you were in Vancouver, and I was in New Jersey. Um, the other crazy thing that I'm surprised you didn't mention was, of the two people on the podcast tonight, one of the two of us have worked on a legitimate Hollywood movie, and it's not me. <laughs> and I don't know if you want to talk about it, but again... Yeah, why not? We I, can. I I'm, was, a, I'm, I'm I was so sure... When we became friends, you know, we worked together before really being friends and whatever, you know, your brother's one of my best friends and then our friendship started as coworkers. I was confident that for some reason you stepped in shit more than any other human being on planet Earth. It's probably true. It is true. I mean, it's just true. And to that extent, I need the backstory and and the the retelling of how you ended up working on a fucking Kevin Smith movie. Well, this also ties back into the Devils. Um, Kevin Smith had come to a couple of games, and again, they needed somebody to walk him around, be his chaperone i guess mm-hmm. um take him to a suite not bodyguard I, I i don't i don't i don't fit the bill of bodyguards so i don't know <laughs> i just like the chaperone yeah right um but i i walked around with him and and you know we would talk and we talked hockey a little bit and i'm a big comic book guy so we bonded over comics and it's funny because you know that was it. It was a cool moment, and that was it. And I think there were a couple times, actually, he came. So I bumped into him more than once. Mm-hmm. And it was the playoffs now of 2000. So now this is the same year as the Olympics. This is 2010. Like, 2010 truly was, like, the apex of my life. You peaked. In a lot of ways. <laughs> was that? I said you peaked. 2010. Yeah, I, I think so. All downhill. Ways, I mean, that was my first marathon. Was the New York City Marathon was that November. The Olympics started the year. In between the two was the movie. Yeah. So it's it was my last week at the Devils. I think it was we were the first playoff game, or we were cut. No, because I was already gone by the playoffs. But we were we were like kind of in clinch mode or battling for jockeying for a seeding position at the end of the regular season. You know, when those games either don't matter at all or they really matter. Mm-hmm. And it, you kind of got that playoff vibe, which I miss. I miss being in an arena. Yeah, and just experiencing that, hearing people, even like now watching games on TV, it's not the same when really you know. Oh, for I guess sure. At like what ten, twenty percent capacity, it's not the same. Yeah. But anyway, I'm in the hallway with a bunch of like rally towels or something that I was bringing somewhere, and he see he sees me. I mean, he goes, Scott, Scott. I'm like, what? 
who is this? And I'm like, oh. And I said, hey, how's it going, Kevin? <laughs> first, <laughs> name ba- talking, first name like, basis. <laughs> he's like, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm doing good. How are you? And you know, we were talking for a minute. And I said, you know, this is actually my last week or my last month or whatever it was. I'm leaving. He's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to freelance, um, which was true. I, I, I had gotten like a really good gig as a permanent freelancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, working for my old boss, the one that I fought for that I thought should have been MVP of, you know, whatever years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that kind of came back in a good way for me too. Cause I know he knows that I kind of stood up for him nice. and battled for him. So, um, so you know, screaming like, your I'm name. Gonna go, so I'm going to go do this thing and, uh, you know, it's better pay, you know, it's less hours, which is great. Um, and uh, he's like, well, listen, we're going to shoot a movie this summer. Why don't you come work on it if you're not doing anything? And I go, do what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we'll figure something out. I said, all right, cool. And from there, I don't even remember how we exchanged contact because I didn't have his phone number or anything like that. He must have written his, down his email or something, and, and I emailed him. And I got, I got in touch with his producer on the movie, and, uh, you know, we kind of did like a little back and forth and it seemed like it was going to happen right away. And then it wasn't going to happen and it kept getting pushed back. And then finally it was like the end of July. He was like, Hey, we're going to start shooting in August and can you come out to California? I go, yes, I'll be there. <laughs> and, uh, it ended up being the end of August. It was the end it was Labor Day weekend. I was lifeguarding on the weekends working in the city during the week. I mean, this is like, again, like I said, this is the apex of, of life. Single guy, like nothing to worry about getting tan all weekend, you know, hanging out in the city during the week, you know, making decent money. And, uh, I hopped on a plane. Uh, we were actually outside of LA, a town called Whittier. And I was looking for places to stay cause I had to just put up my own room and board, obviously. Mm-hmm. And everywhere was super expensive. So I ended up finding on Craigslist, uh, uh, a woman says she's looking for a roommate. I say, great. Two days before the, I'm supposed to leave, um, she, I think, shot me an email maybe. Maybe a call. I don't remember. Probably an email, though. It says, hey, look, sorry, there's been a change of plans. Uh, I'm pregnant. Um, I'm not going to be looking to have a roommate. I'm setting up the other room for the baby. And I said, I'm only going to be there for a few months. Uh, your baby's not going to be there, like, for nine. Um, we have time, like, I need a place to stay. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. You're telling me this, I'm supposed to come out in two days. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was, I, I, literally, the plan I had known, I was only going to be there for two months. I was going to be there for September and October, possibly early November, but I was going to figure something out. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, my parents live down the road. You could stay with them. <laughs> I'm like what so I mean I'm in rock and hard place like alright so I'm staying with this family so they were this Armenian family the wife was a fortune teller oh my the god the father was a trucker now this is 2010 so coming out of the recession he lost his trucking job and so he's been out of work for two years he spoke no English um, my new sister's name was Louisa um, because she still lived there and there was a brother, and I was staying in the brother's room. And I said, well, where is the brother? Well, he's in jail. Oh. Oh. Okay. Um, you don't have to tell me why. And, and I didn't even finish saying you don't have to tell me why. He was in a gang. Oh, All great. right, well, thanks for telling me that. I'm sleeping in the twin bed of a convicted felon. How did I never hear this story? Me. All his baseball trophies on the wall of his blue room. And one bloody um, bat in the corner. <laughs> and, and they had they had this evil Dalmatian um, who was called Spot. They were not very creative. <laughs> and uh, this dog was blind. Oh. And I had to sneak around him every time I came home because he was always locked in the garage and the garage was always open and he had just had like a chain on him or whatever. Ooh. And he would just get up and just start like looking for blood. So I had to like go or, and, and, and my room was re- literally on the other side of the garage. And a lot of times I didn't want to see my Armenian dad <laughs> walk as I walked through the house. So I was just trying to sneak into the garage. 
but then I have to avoid getting bitten by this evil blind dog. Oh, man, it was wild. I remember uh, my mom read me my tea leaves one time. Uh, I, ha- I still have it written down, but I don't remember where it is. I don't, you know, I should probably check that out because I don't remember what came true or what didn't. But uh, it, it, was, it was cool. You know, she kept telling me that I was going to keep working for somebody uh, named LL. Their initials were LL. Which I thought was very weird because we both know who LL is. But you did work for LL. Um, I did, and I've done some stuff for them recently too. So I don't know if maybe there's just like a, an eternal connection there or not. I don't know. That's pretty cool. Um, we'll we'll, uh, we'll jump off air and, and tell I'll tell you my favorite LL story because it is um, just just one of the best. Um, you were there, but yeah, I, we, we will rehash that offline. Um, I absolutely adore Kevin Smith. He's a New Jersey treasure. Um, he's just one of the coolest fucking guys. He's got such a great positive outlook on life. And <clears throat> I find it incredibly odd slash unique that <laughs> you were a part of what could only be classified as one of the most bizarre movies ever made. <laughs> So the film was Red State, and honestly, I'm a brutally honest. I'm a brutally honest person, right? You know this. Yeah, I like that movie. No, you don't. Uh, and it's not because I was there. No, you don't. I do. What is? I give, give him me so much credit. Give me one redeeming quality about that film. Any? He stretched. He stretched really far <laughs> out of his comfort zone, and he tried something new. Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I, I'm gigantic Kevin Smith fan. I fucking love the guy. If I could get him on the podcast, it's my got life a great would... cast. Yeah, it's got a great cast. The story was so bad. Mm, I, you know, I think I think some of that may come down to editing. Again, maybe I am a little more biased than I want to admit here because, you know, I'd seen the script like weeks in advance. I'd read all the rewrites. I actually have. They call them dailies. Mm-hmm. They're like little mini scripts that you get every day, and they'll have all the rewrites on there. I have so many of those. That's cool. In a folder somewhere. It is cool. It's like a cool little keepsake. For sure. Um, but, um, you know, so all these different things. I, I remember, you know, just the surreal moment of standing at catering, talking about the half-life of a Twinkie with Kevin Pollock. <laughs> This is what I'm saying. Like, for so much of our friendship, I've just seen you as this human being that just things were just dropped into your lap and just like hilarious, unbelievable, blind, dumb luck. But, but listen, so this is, and this is where I, I said earlier, this all ties back, and I, I said two things that I'm going through a midlife crisis and that I feel like I'm behind the eight ball. And, because things came too easy. You know, these things just, you're right, these things really did fall into my lap, undeservingly so. Like, I would just walk down know. the street and like, be like, hey, I like that guy. I don't, um, let's I don't know about... Let's, let's have him look up to me. I want to unpack that for a second. Yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily think undeservingly so. Like, when you were put in these situations, you performed, you worked hard, you busted your ass. Like, it's not like you just took these well, yeah. Uh, yeah, opportunities to, you know, rest on your laurels and do nothing when you got there and just fuck around. Like, you worked in all those situations. So, that is true. while the opportunity did drop out of thin air into your lap, you made the most of those opportunities. Yeah, I did. And, and you know, it's funny, like, working on the movie, like, I had a whole career lined up and I just like the, I remember uh, the props master wanted me to come work for him mm-hmm. and wanted me to go to Mississippi <laughs> on some other movie. And I didn't want to do it because I was making so much money freelancing at my advertising job in New York that it wasn't worth it to me. Sure. And same thing. The assistant director wanted me to be under his wing. He's like, you started a PA production assistant. And then I don't remember what the, the, like the pecking order was, but he's mm-hmm. like, eventually you do this. And I remember just politely saying it like, Mark, I, I really appreciate that. I, I don't think this is for me. And he said something along the lines of all the smart people get out of here. Um, <laughs> it's very honest, which, you know, was, was flattering. Um, but like, it just, it really like, honestly, Hollywood sounds super glamorous for me personally. It was too slow. It was so much hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was you're, you do your one specialized task because again super unionized so you're not allowed to do anything outside of your purview right um so my job is to just pick up this cup i'm going to pick up this cup and that's it 
Right. I can't pick up your plate. I can't touch the fork. Um, and, and so how, how hard is that? It's a very simple job. I do that one thing and now I sit around for an hour and I wait for someone to tell me to do something again. And you can't go anywhere because you have to stay there. Uh, you know, I, I got to a point where like I would bring a book with me in my, in my pocket, like, you know, I, like my cargo shorts or whatever. And I just sit there and I'd read a book. Um, because these were long days. There are like 12, 13 hour days sometimes. Uh, and it, but it's just like, I, I didn't feel any sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. That's you know? fair. I, I mean, listen, uh, not, part, part, God, I would say partly because of, you know, I was the smallest cog on the wheel, mm-hmm. you know, where, where the ship was, you know, the wheel was still going to turn whether I was there or not, sure. you know? Um, but, but at the same time, I was just like, I don't know, this just isn't for me. And I'm glad that I got that out of my system because it's something I really thought in my head, as a lot of people do, I think, that they want to go there. They want to do that. They want to do that kind of stuff. They mm-hmm. want to work in Hollywood. Sure. Like, Man, this is just a little dull. Well, you know, it's nice. It's but a good... I'm, so I'm super grateful for the experience, and then, but that was it. That's cool. I mean, obviously, like I said, prior to bringing up those two instances, you've had some ridiculously crazy things happen in your life, and, you know... I don't know if it's the universe paying you back for your childhood or what it might be. Um, but I, I find you to be one of the most unique people that I know. And, and I think you've got a good heart and you're a good dude. Um, what are you most proud of that you've done in your life? Oh, man. Um, good question. I mean, if you ask me in 20 years, It'll probably be, hopefully, hopefully it's because my kids did something good. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, well, maybe I played some sort of part in them getting here. And maybe it was because they're like, our dad was such a piece of crap. <laughs> I vowed to be such a better person than him. I doubt that. And if that's it, then it might be that. I doubt but, that. But uh, they're, they're too young to, for, really, for me to really say that, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I love them. And they're like, they're probably my greatest achievement. Mm-hmm. And my great, they're my greatest contribution, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. But, as, but I also had very little to do with that. A lot of that is, most of that is my wife's work. Sure. Um, liter- literally and figuratively, you know? I mean, yeah. um, the whole process. <laughs> you know, I, I made a donation and then I, I just peaced out for a little bit. <laughs> I made a donation. Um, so I can't even really lay claim to that. Fair. But, I, I, you know, there are a few things. Like I, so I'm not afraid to push myself to crazy boundaries. Again, I'm 39 years old. I cannot wait to go to boot camp to see how I stack up against these literal kids mm-hmm. who could be my children age wise, like 20 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what happens. Um, so, are you, are you most proud of was, taking a big risk in your life? I mean, that, that's more of like a general theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this would be a specific example of that. Another one would be, you know, I bought a house. Uh, when I was probably too early to buy a house, mm-hmm. technically, you know, and like mature wise, mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to settle down. And, and I thought I was just because society said, this is what you do, you know, hey, yep. um, or just growing up in a time where it was like, okay, high school sweetheart or college sweetheart, whatever it is, you meet a girl, you get a job, you settle down, you start a family. I wasn't in that space at all, but I thought because I was in my mid twenties that that's what you did. hundred percent. And so that's what I started doing and it blew up in my face. Thank God it did. Mm-hmm. You know, I was dating a girl who honestly I didn't even treat that well. Um, and she broke up with me and she should have, and I would have, and you know, it sent me kind of down to a funk, mm-hmm. but we were supposed to move into this house together. We never did it. Now I'm stuck with the house. I was going to foot the bill. Uh, so I rented it out and that's when I moved into the city and now fast forward to, you know, I've now left the city, uh, to go work on this movie. I came back for a few months and now the idea is in my head, well, I was not in the city and my house was rented and I was actually doing better off that way because I wasn't paying rent because mm-hmm. I was only paying this Armenian family like 200 bucks. <laughs> Um, and I'm not going to find, uh, that same situation here, but maybe I don't need that. Sure. So I ended up giving up my apartment outright because I was just subletting it at the time to someone else. 
and I just chose to be homeless. And I would go to the gym every morning uh, and work out. I had a huge bag of clothes that I just left, and I had this massive five-drawer filing cabinet at work that I took all the files out, and I threw them away, and uh, I just put all my clothes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of lived in my office, and then, you know, in the winter, and then I ended up just becoming, like, a night creeper of the city, you know, like a night person. Like, they say it's a city you never sleep. Nah, it's a very different city. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's a weird place, yeah. uh, after like midnight. This would be, um, this would be classified as the part of our friendship where as a, as a friend, I was most worried for you <laughs> because when you came back, <laughs> when you came back from California, I had it under control. you did. No, yeah. to be fair, you did. And you made it work better than I'm sure any other person possibly could because you you know these things typically end up falling into place. It. I for ended you. up paying off a house. Yeah, I paid off a freaking house by choosing to go homeless. Yeah, and which to be is fair, it's, it's not as I mean, it's not as if you were sleeping outside homeless. Sometimes I did. Um, Very rare. Because there were days where it was super it was super busy in the office late at night, and I couldn't let anyone know what I was doing that I was sleeping on the couch in the office. Yeah. Um, late at night. So there would be times where I would wait everyone out and there'd be, I'd be like dog ass tired, like exhausted. And I'm like, I can't, I can't keep my eyes open anymore. And I'd be like, I gotta leave. And I, I would just go, go out somewhere and I would go to Herald Square where, you know, there'd be a ton of like real homeless people, you know, um, people who had nowhere to go, people who had no jobs. Um, and they're sleeping on benches. And I mean, you don't really get a lot of sleep that way. You sleep with one eye open. Yeah. Um, you know, you sit on a bench, put your head on the table and you close your eyes and you just, you know, no one ever bothered me, but you just hope. But a lot of times you end up being up all night. And then the next morning, again, I first thing I'd be at the gym because I would pack my clothes at work before I left, whatever I needed in my bag. I'd walk around this bag all over the city and I'd go to the gym I'd shower, I'd change. And then a lot of times after that, you'd sleep during the day in the park. I mean, there's a, a rock in Central Park that I always say is my rock. It's, there's a section of the, of the park called, like, uh, uh, the Fountain of Bethesda. It's actually a popular place. You might know it. There, there's like, it's like Author's Walk. Yeah. So it's like a straight path, and there's all these statues of authors. Yep. And it opens up into, like, these, this big stairwell that you go down, and there's an archway. And a lot of wedding photographs happen there under the archway and stuff. Yeah, and I'm as you familiar. get under the archway on the other side, there's a fountain and there's like a little pond or a lake or something there. Mm-hmm. If you make a left, it kind of goes steeply up. You go up, there's a huge rock. I would just go there and sleep on that rock all day <laughs> until it was time for me to go to work. Um, now in the winter or when it was raining, that was tough. Sure. So that's when I would go to uh, Lincoln Center Movie Theater. First thing in the morning, 9 o'clock, 9.30 showing, $6.00. Uh, and I would stay there all day and just theater hop and, and honestly, maybe watch one movie and then the rest, I would just sleep in a seat for the rest, you know, just to catch some, some Z's. <laughs> Such a honestly peculiar human being, Scott Madrinsky. Um, I, I just, it just, the things that we discuss, I mean, we, we talk every couple of weeks or, you know, almost every week. And just the things that you have to tell me truly, really never cease to amaze me. And I've got two more questions um, that I want to answer. The first one's a little bit uh, deep, so I'll start with the second one. What what would you say is like your biggest regret? Um, I wish I was nicer. I think that's something you could change. It's never too What's late. It's not something you could change. No, it's it's it, never it, too late. But, but no. No, it's never really going forward, but what happens, happens, you yeah. know? And, and that's kind of where I say, like, maybe I wish I wasn't as abrasive or so willing to fall on my sword. I, I can relate to that. I, I think a lot of times, I don't know if I regret not caring as much about things, but I do wish that my feelings or lack thereof didn't impact people the way that they did in my past. And it's something that I consciously work on moving forward, being a, like a nicer, yeah. more wholesome, but you know, better version of myself. Um, so yeah, I, it's a struggle. it is a struggle. I mean, I think it's just, you live a life and 
there's a lot of good days. There's a lot of bad days and you're constantly are, it's constantly impressed upon you or, or the thought is impressed upon you that everyone's doing better. Everyone's happier. And I'm just this miserable bag of shit. So it's easy to, to be a dick. It's easy to be a prick. And I think as I get older, um, I try to do that a lot less. I try to catch myself in the moments where I'm getting aggravated, where I'm getting angry over something that is so small and yeah, it's not worth it. And go beyond it. Um, but that's good. I, I mean, I think part of the, just the, 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 the cognitive ability for you to be like, I wish I was nicer when I was younger will greatly impact, you know, you moving forward. So it's, it's a step in the right direction. Um, well, I, also, I mean, I've always found it easy to be nice to strangers, easier to be nicer to strangers than it is to people I know. I know. You know? It's, I, 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 I is that weird? I, I no. know. Is that normal or is that very, it's either very normal or very weird? It's one it's, or the other. It's, it's probably a bit of both. Um, but it was something that, that always uh, surprised me about you because you could be such a dick for no reason. And then like meet a complete stranger and they were your best friend. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's like we're on a clean slate. And I feel like if I know you, well, you just have to get over it. <laughs> That's fair. Because um, we're, so, we're so close. Like, we're, I, I really think this. Like, oh, and, and other people don't think this. And the people close to me don't think this. And I think that's the thing that I've started to, to learn. And I need to adapt to that. Where it's like, if I tell you to go fuck off, well, maybe you're not going to get over it. Maybe that's really going to hurt you. And I shouldn't have just, I just shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't say fuck off. And then, you know, in a few days, everything's going to be cool again. Yeah. Maybe I should just not do that in the first place. So it's a, it's a good thought process. <laughs> it's definitely a good thought process moving forward for sure. Um, obviously we've been on the line for, for about an hour now and uh, I want to try to wrap things up shortly. And this is the most loaded question that I have, but I'm just genuinely curious as to whether you have a, uh, extremely morbid, uh, outlook on an afterlife or a positive one. So my question is, what do you think happens when we die? Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, well, I know you don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what I think, though. To be honest, like you know, there's there's this wishful, there's this that wish fulfillment center of your brain, your body, your heart, whatever. That when I die, what I hope happens, I hope that I am somehow cognizant and aware of all the great moments of my life. Mm-hmm simultaneously, you know, hanging out with my son while he's playing with Legos or, and honestly, not even hanging out with him, watching him mm-hmm. that he doesn't know that I'm watching and watching him play, um, drawing with my daughter, you know, the Stanley cups with my dad, um, you know, random Christmas mornings that I could tell you everything that I got that day, you know, uh, you know, my mom taking me to the doctor, you know, weird stuff. It's, and especially, like, when I was very young, both my parents were at work. My grandmother, who lived with me most of my life, was also working. And I stayed all day with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, those are times that I have just, like, snippets of memories. Yeah. And what I would love to have happen is to just have all of that flooding at the same time, simultaneously, while me and him are together again. And I'm three years old forever. I got to be honest, Scott. Um, that was an incredibly beautiful thing that you just said. And uh, I got to give you credit for that. That was that was very touching. That was nice. Oh, well, I'm glad. I like that. Um, this has been a tremendous conversation, as most of ours are. Um, I'd like to wrap things up at the end of every episode, uh, giving everyone a recommendation for something. Could be a book, could be a podcast, a movie, a TV show, a comic book, literally whatever uh, comes to mind. Um, could be, uh, you know, a food item at the food store. Um, what's uh, what's one recommendation you have for uh, for the listeners today? I think everybody should watch the movie Red State by Kevin Smith. <laughs> I'm going to tweet this podcast at Kevin. I just would love to have him on sometime. I would, I would love to, I would love for him to hear what you think about this wonderful piece of shit that he made. And again, I fucking love you, Kevin. If you ever hear this, you're an amazing human being and uh, he's not. I also enjoyed Tusk. 
Oh, I, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I was I just added it to my up next um literally yesterday. Well, um, we have to reconnect and, and maybe we'll do like a live viewing. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, my recommendation is going to be a movie that I would like you to watch. It's called Spontaneous. It's on Hulu. Have you seen it yet? I don't have Hulu. Okay, I'll give you my password. Send me the password. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you my password. It is very endearing, very fucking bizarre, but definitely worth the two-ish hours that it goes on. And the only thing that I will tell you about the movie and the entire movie i loved but within the first 30 some odd seconds of the film a high school uh student spontaneously combusts oh and the premise is just so ridiculous but it works in such a bizarre uh heartwarming way that i hope everyone i hope everyone sees it i hope whoever wrote it whoever directed it produced it whatever i hope they get a ton of positive feedback because it was so weird but so so good can I change my answer now? Sure. <laughs> I mean, definitely watch Red State, but definitely watch Tammy and the T-Rex on Amazon Prime. I have no idea what that is. In the first five minutes, Paul Walker and some goon in the mullet get into a dick-squeezing fight. <laughs> is, that, is that your favorite movie? <laughs> this week. <laughs> Uh, Scott Madrinsky, ladies and gen- gentlemen, I'm going to link your Instagram below. Obviously, you won't be posting much coming soon. I'll link the uh, website for your portfolio. Uh, dude, you're one of my good friends. I love you. I wish you nothing but happiness and success. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you're a good boy. Thanks, Scott. All right, man. I love you too. Be well, buddy. Thank you.